0: Amen. Right, up to Matthew 18 already, Uh, it seems to have flown for me, maybe not for you guys, I don't know. But we're, um, we're, yeah, we'll do a quick recap just to remind you again of what happened last week in Matthew 17. Um, We we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration, which was basically a a vision of, of Jesus in his glory and his coming kingdom. Uh, and something we talked about afterwards, m- myself and my family, um, w- was it, it happened to be the 40-day fast trio up there as well, didn't it? So all, all three of those guys done the 40-day fast. We were talking about fasting. I think, yeah, actually, they're all up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. So um, maybe that's why Peter was I'll oh, just do three tabernacles, like they're all the same. But And God had to kind of remind him, that, oh, this is my beloved son. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we, we saw how Peter said in his in his um second epistle that we have a more sure word of prophecy though so you know you've got this amazing kind of vision that he's seen and he was witness to and he's going have we have a more sure word of prophecy and that being the word of god right <laughs> and um look it, it doesn't matter what you think you might have experienced and some you know the, a lot of these wicked false church types love to talk about experiences and they've experiences. oh no this must be true because i experienced that i wit it's got it's the word of God which we stand on, isn't it? Yeah, not experiences. So we, we looked at that. We looked at the similarities between John and Elijah, and then we saw Jesus healing this guy's son who was, who was a lunatic, and then he was calling them a faithless and perverse generation, wasn't he? Um, he said if they had faith as a grain of mustard seed, basically they would have fasted and prayed is how i see that you know if they had that faith they would have fasted and prayed and often we don't have the faith to pray and or fast with that as well Um, and then we saw jesus telling them again how he's going to die and rise again and then we had this tax collector you know who's like "Yeah, yeah forget all that messiah stuff where's the money you know and he came and asked if jesus pays his taxes peter kind of lied didn't he and then Um, but then he provided what was needed to pay so as not to offend them and we talked about how you know God doesn't want us to go and offend yeah we need to live by the laws of the land and if you don't like the taxes here you don't like the land we'll go somewhere else but I doubt you're going to find somewhere you know much better and it's all pretty wicked isn't it you know I don't think that that Roman government was any better so anyway uh, we're going to be continuing now with Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1 which says at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Um, as usual, I'd like to pray before we continue. Father, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for this, um, just just the great messages that, that you've given us out of fear. Please help me to just preach that clearly now and accurately, Lord. Uh, help everyone to have a tent of fears. Please keep the distractions to a minimum and help everyone to just pay attention to what your word has to say to them, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, please, Lord. In Jesus' name pray all of this. Amen. Um, That's an innocent question, isn't it? You know, they're like, is it David, Abraham, Moses, Elijah? Is that what they're asking? Who would win the fight between maybe like Samson and I don't know, the like Esenite or whatever? You know, the guy who like killed 800 or... It's not really though, is it? Because that's not what they were asking. The parallel passage in Luke's Gospel makes it clearer. You don't have to turn it, but Luke 9.46 says, Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. So what they're asking here when they're saying who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they're talking about themselves. So they're comparing themselves. They're debating about which of them is the best Christian. Hence him, then we see in a second him telling them to humble themselves. Yeah. And we could read this and laugh, yeah, and, and I don't know, I was thinking about this, as you look through the Gospels, you're almost seeing like that that growth from really what I've, you know, because he does say he's revealed them unto babes, like spiritual babes and they're growing and growing through the Gospels, aren't they? And obviously they turn into like great men of God, all these guys. But at the time, I don't see them as maybe being that at that point. And obviously they're learning a lot and we could look at that and, and get all funny about it, but they didn't have the complete Bible at this point. They were kind of newer sort of Christians, you could say, couldn't you? But But how many Christians, regardless whether they're new or not, maybe think like this, but just don't verbalise it? And, And, you know, they're kind of talking among themselves. You could go, oh, can you believe it that they were saying that? But many do think like this, okay? Many do amongst churches, amongst even before churches, soul winning groups and whatever else, basically just constantly competing with each other okay and this is a this is something that you're going to get in churches but I'm going to just going to constantly preach about because that's what we don't want do we and it's carnal yet so many people do it don't they so many Christians do it so many church so many pastors will talk about the same thing and they get that in churches the competitive Christian and it's so bizarre isn't it because really it's so clear in the bible that that's not how we're meant to be yet look we're all carnal we all have the flesh and people different people get tempted by different things right there and this can be something that's a temptation for many now you could look at it and think well maybe it's you know maybe it's just kind of the guys yeah just competing you know for example you know who, you know i think i'm a better soul winner than that one in their mind they're like yeah you know have definitely been getting a few more summer. and obviously we had some of that retardation in our church before didn't we <laughs> it's just ridiculous sort of stupid numbers and and boastful about it and all of this sort of stuff the funniest one obviously being the um the, the hospital soul winning you know just got the surgeon saved <laughs> just just got a second surgeon saved you know praise god you know? <laughs> just, uh, it was amazing wasn't it however um Look, that can't look. It's something that we obviously don't want to get pulled into. We don't want to get pulled into trying to compete and because we don't really have a clue, and that's not what it's about. It's not about that at all. But it's not just guys, women can get like this too. Okay, and sadly, you know, there are many women in church, and we had that previously before as well, trying to be like the best the best, like, matriarchal type or trying to be the best soul winner or and it's just ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous and, and as well, you know, there are seasons with women as well so you get women who, like, get really full of themselves because they're able to get out and then someone else isn't and then they are and it's just just ridiculous, all of it, you know, and, it, and it's so carnal and you can see through it yet people still do it, don't they? Couples, preaching. How about preaching as well? You get people that that when they're getting up behind a pulpit, and look, this will be across churches, is their goal to edify the church or is their goal to look great? So often it's to look great. So often the goal is, how do I look? How do I, am I better than that other one? Do I, do I, am I gonna look like a better preacher than whoever it is, you know? And it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous yet again, so many Christians get pulled into this. And really this is just what we're seeing here. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're just like, who's the best Christian out of them? and they've just got it all wrong haven't they turn to second corinthians chapter 10 because our goal isn't to compete it's to serve god isn't it it's to serve god and look there are people that can sound very smooth and i've been sat there with you know under preachers and listened to them and been there at churches where oh well you know they sound like they've got all this info and they sound very smooth and they sound but but you can just tell the way they're even saying things it's all about them it's all about how they appear all about how they're going to sound all about how intellectual they might sound all about how spiritual they think they sound but you're not getting anything from the sermon are you and we just want to hear the word of god preached, and we want people to be edified and that needs to be all of our motivation anyone who preaches here When you're going out preaching your motivation is to get people saved not what can i get how many numbers can i get when you preach behind the pulpit your motivation has to be what are people going to get from it am i going to preach these truths am i going to get some edification from it second corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 it says for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. So they're not wise. So anyone who's doing that, and like, look, some people can be really subtle with this, okay? And, and you notice it, you see little bits of behaviour, which is a very subtle way of trying to lift themselves up, trying to compete with others. The Bible just says they're not wise. Not being wise isn't a good thing, is it? You know, We don't want to be, appear to be not wise, however clever, clever sometimes people think they are with it. And it's something that we have to avoid, okay? We have to avoid that comparing ourselves, commending ourselves, comparing ourselves with each other. You know, we're all brothers and sisters and we're all here to just ultimately to be the body of Christ and go out and get more and more people saved, yeah? Look at verse two. It says, and Jesus, uh, back to Matthew 18, and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. So, by the way, notice how he didn't send him off to Sunday school, did he? He got a little child, sent him off where a guy learned some like cool songs. He said, he, he set them in the midst, so he set, he set this child in the middle of them, right, right in the middle. And said, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So there's a few lessons I think you can get from that. Number one here is that to be saved in the first place, we need to become as little children, Right? Now, what does that mean? Well, firstly, like I preach in our parenting series, before children have a knowledge between good and evil, they're saved, aren't they? That's what, I I have no doubt about that. Paul said, we could go to again, but i preached it a couple of weeks ago. Paul said in Romans 7, 9, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Okay, so there was a point for me in Paul's life I believe when we compare it and, and look at Deuteronomy 1 and other places, it, I believe, and that's a picture, I think, of them entering heaven. and it, It's a picture, obviously. I, I believe it's when you, you understand the difference between good and evil. And like I said, that's not the difference between mummy and daddy being annoyed or not. Yeah? In John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, so you have to basically you have to become a child theoretically and that you're going, to, you're going to be saved and become basically sinless like a child, okay? Like a child is, is not responsible for their sins before that age of, of understanding the difference between good and evil. Now, here's the thing with that, is that that can be hard for the pride of some, like I said before, that, that can be difficult. And, and, you know, with this competitive stuff as well, that's just a reality isn't it? You get someone, especially you get someone coming to church from a false background, from a false Christianity especially background, but you probably say from any false religion really, and they come in and they are newly saved. That's hard for them a lot of the time to deal with because ultimately they're a, they're a spiritual baby, they're a child. Yet for many they, it's like, yeah but I've done all this and I've kind of been at church or I've done this and. But it doesn't mean anything, does it? Because they've just been born again. So then for many, they're kind of, they want to try and like, some, some will even go as far as maybe, you know, wanting to appear to have been saved for longer and stuff like that. And I've been across, come across people like this before. Because uh, look, it's one thing getting saved, but then to accept that, look, I'm, a, I'm basically a child in Christ now, and I need to learn and I need to, you know, appreciate that I don't know that much yet, etc. It, it is difficult, it's difficult. But, you know, with that in mind, look, the, the greatest is the most humble, yeah? So you've got, you've got verse 4, which says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as his little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, like I said, from verse 3, the, the first lesson was we need to become as little children. The second is that when we're converted, we become spiritual babies, okay? So we do, look that's just the truth of life every single person here if you're saved there was a point when you were a spiritual baby okay when you were young in Christ when you when and some maybe still are you know whether they're here or watching online some people still are and there's nothing wrong with that you know that's a good time because you can learn and learn and grow and learn and we just have to accept that don't we When, when we are like that but yeah the greatest is the most humble he said whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven now Proverbs 18.12 says before destruction the heart of man is haughty and before honour is humility. So to become great in God's eyes, to be one of those people up here when it comes to God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, we need to be humble like a little child and most little children are pretty humble aren't they? And we're talking quite you know, young here, obviously as they get older they can get a bit haughty can't they? But here young children, little children here, he's saying, whosoever therefore shall humble himself is his little child the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven and look that that's something that we should all constantly aspire to be like shouldn't we it's just to accept that we're not we're not the great people that we often tell ourselves we are and especially because god's way is so opposite to our wicked world isn't it isn't that the complete opposite to really how we're taught in the world how many people are constantly being told to have some pride and take pride in this take pride in yourself and don't let them talk to you like that don't let them treat you like that it's you you know it's constantly affirming this pride let alone the fact that we now have all the whatever they call the alphabet people their whole thing is about pride being like proud of the fact that you're a sodomite i mean it's absolutely amazing isn't it but that, you've got the world on one side, and then you've got the Christian on the other who's being constantly told to humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. And, and obviously we do get influenced by the world, don't we? And we get influenced by all the movies we've maybe watched and all these other things which it's constantly about pride, pride, pride. Yet we need to try and put all that away and be humble, humble, humble. And, and you know, something I've said before is, is, I think there's an issue. It's not, look, some people go too far and they get like really holier than now with everything okay however there is a, a, a an element of truth in that we we've just been filled up many people here were saved as adults yeah and maybe quite you know many years into being an adult yeah and they've been filled up for years with all this worldly brainwash worldly brainwash worldly brainwash and then you get saved and You're kind of like, well, I could, you know, get away with a little bit of worldly brainwash. But it's kind of like you you, you try to get rid of it, aren't you? And I'm not saying that you can, you know, people try and get, all right, that's it, everything gone. You never, you just got to keep away from everyone and anything. However, we do have to be circumspect as well and understand and appreciate that we've already had so much of it that we need to kind of reverse that. You need to be immersed and in the word of God and reading your Bible and in the things of God, maybe more so... Really, you could say that if you'd just grown up as a Christian and you could maybe get away with that little bit of exposure here and there, and I'm not trying to encourage that. However, it's different when you've just had it so much and you're trying to get away from that, trying to raise godly children. And we're so often just battling against previous brainwash, aren't we? So much conditioning that sometimes we're not even aware of. The way we think, the way we act, the way we react to things is so often a a kind of a result of, of... the lives we've already lived and the influence we've had, then add the flesh to that as well, then add to the devil to that, and you've kind of got a hard like a hard battle, haven't you? But it's a good battle to, to take on, isn't it? He said, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So wh- what does that mean? Yeah, what does it mean to receive one such little child in my name? Well, I believe that he's saying that a child I believe he sent a child can preach the gospel because john 1 12 says but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of god even to them that believe in his name yeah john 13 20 says "Verily, verily, i say unto you he that receiveth whomsoever i send receiveth me and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me so here we say who shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me yeah so now does he mean a spiritual child or a physical child here well he is he has got a little child here as the example but you could read you could you could argue both there anyway because look and obviously I preach about this in the parenting series it's not it's not our job to force anyone okay we're not here to force anyone to go out soul winning okay and and that includes your own children as well i don't think you want to be forcing them but newly saved and young christians can preach the gospel can't they they can preach the gospel there's not like a time or oh, you've got to have been saved for this much time to preach gospel often that's the best time isn't it yeah that, what did the, the woman at the well do the the you know she 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 went straight out the women of samaria and started telling everything everyone about jesus christ you know what did the the maniac you know of of the gadarenes i think it was what did he do he was told go out and tell everyone and sometimes that's when you're most sort of fired up as well i know i was fired up when i first got saved i wanted to tell people but sadly the teaching i was getting was so poor I don't really know how to do it properly. So I'm just trying to convince them about God and Jesus and stuff and just getting it all wrong. And, and, and it was a shame because I was, at that point, I was so zealous as well. And look, you, you don't have, it's not, because the other thing is this as well is that people are like, oh, well, you better, you know, you better just, just spend a long time before you preach the gospel. Now, look, we want people to learn how to preach the gospel first, yeah? And obviously, if you're at our church, you're not saying go out and be a talker because you've just got saved. Have it. If they want to, great, get them out soul winning. They're a great time to learn because it's not complicated. Anyone think preaching the gospel is complicated? Is the gospel complicated? It sure isn't, is it? The gospel's so easy a little child can, can can understand it. Yeah, it's as easy as taking a bite of bread, it's as easy as drinking a cup of water. So why can't a child then preach the gospel? No reason why not, is there? Why can't a spiritual baby preach the gospel? No reason. As long as they know how to, they can preach the gospel, can't they? okay and and look they've got the holy spirit like you and i yeah they can preach the gospel because it's not it's it's not wh- what you're really doing you're reading verses and explaining the verse it's not hard and, and and you know what if you if if you just spend a bit of time and, and it's not really kind of a chore is it it's not the hardest thing to do. You spend a bit of time just mapping your bible and learning some things and how you'd explain a verse it's not really difficult now here's the thing with that there are different levels for different bi- and, and different people have different personalities and there are some that are very confident just outgoing people are very happy to talk to people who would who would happily take a salesman's job and I don't know if they still do this anymore in the old days you would get people knocked around with like dishcloths and stuff they still have these people anymore my house no one could seem to be able to find, so I don't really get door knockers. But I used to have people that used to just knock round they're trying to sell you this, trying to sell you. Nowadays there's people trying to offer the time at your drive or do your roof. But okay, so but people are able to do that, and, and some people would be I could never do that job and other people could and those people, if they got saved, I'd imagine they'd be probably quicker at going out and preaching the gospel, yeah. That doesn't mean they're better people or anything else, but they're still able to do that. Some people are more able and other people aren't. We're not trying to force anyone. However, if you are saved, you are able to do it. Okay, now, that is the same with kids. However, we don't want to force kids to do it. But what's great about kids is that when, when you have a child with you and you go out and try and preach the gospel, it does make things a lot easier, doesn't it? I was saying this the other day, it makes it so much easier. People are warmer at the door, people are a little bit less threatened, especially at night when you're preaching in the dark, cold night and you're knocking on the door and you're all kind of duffled up and maybe hats on and scarves and everything else. It's kind of nice when they see a young child there. And, and look, they do help a lot. And obviously we want, to, we want to get our kids out with us at the least, but they are able to preach. He said, here, whoso shall receive one little child in my name receiveth me. But... Here's another, another lesson as well with this, is that just because someone preaches the gospel, it doesn't mean that they've suddenly matured to an aged Christian, does it? So another mistake we can make is we see someone preaching the gospel and we're like, right, they must be a really mature Christian. Oh, wow, they're, able, they, they're a confident person. They're able to knock on the door. They must be really mature. But it doesn't mean that either. Because all you have to do is explain some salvation verses and be confident enough, bold enough to do it. Now look, boldness can come from the Holy Spirit as well, but some people just are more likely to do that. So it's something we've got to understand as well, and, and look, for people here, I don't, you know, I'm preaching the choir probably, but but often people will walk into a church or have someone that comes from another church, oh, they preach the gospel, they must be a mature Christian, so they must, we're going to judge them by the standards of mature Christian. Often, they're still a babe in Christ, and we have to remember that as well, and, and just, you know, because sometimes they might say something weird and stuff, and we're thinking, What on earth, you know? What must be a heretic, must be unsaved, must be like some wicked person. It's like, No, they're just a babe in Christ, it's just they're competent enough to preach the gospel, right? So, something to remember that as well. But here's another thing is that without soul winning, you'll never be a mature Christian, okay? You will never be a mature Christian if you're not soul winning, so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible, it doesn't matter how often you go to church, if you aren't, and look, I, I include silent partnering here, though, if you're not out regularly preaching the gospel, and obviously, you know, family responsibilities permitting, there you are know, women that just have babies and other things like that, there's illnesses, sicknesses, there's injury, there's other issues why people might not, but however, if you are going out and preaching the gospel, if you're not going out and preaching the gospel, for me, you'll never be a mature Christian, because it's like the obvious first thing to do, isn't it? You don't have your spiritual armour on your feet. You're not going out and doing the first commandment, the first works, the first love. And for me, you'll never be mature. So all these people out there that act like they're these like, really you know, mature Christians and you knock on their door and they start trying to debate the Bible with you. You ain't preached preach the God, you don't know anything. Like, like we've had these guys on our channel just because of the flat earth thing. they're coming on they're trying to sound so like intelligent and quoting bible verse completely just messing them up quoting false bible versions, quoting things wrong quoting them and trying to like claim that this proves this and it and complete nonsense and none of them are preaching the gospel no wonder they're all either babes or sadly a lot of them are just unsaved heretics aren't they okay so verse six says but who so shall offend one of these little ones, which, believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So this isn't necessarily talk about saying something that someone doesn't like, because we use the word offend for, oh, you've offended someone. Oh, it's so offensive because you preached about the sodomites. It's so offensive because you preached on a woman's role in the home. It's so, you know, No, that's not, that's not... What it's talking about here this is basically causing someone to stumble to fall to ensnare them okay so the offense here offending one of these little ones is basically causing a stumbling block like jesus christ is a rock of offense to the jews yeah he was a stumbling block to them here it's talking about that stumbling block okay so causing some sort of offense some sort of stumbling block to one of these little ones which believe me he's saying here so god values these young believers highly doesn't he doesn't he just he says, it's, he, he didn't just say you're in trouble. He, he made a real point here that it were better for him that a millstone, which is basically just like this huge stone, I think for grinding down grain, were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I mean, that's quite a visual of quite a nasty way to die, isn't it? To be drowned. And I remember having a bit of fear of drowning when I was younger. And that's a bit of a nasty way to go, isn't it? And so he Look, he clearly values them highly because they're not just some lesser Christians until they're adults, are they? And many churches treat them like that, don't they? Oh, well, they're just kind of kids, they can just go off with like the kind of whoever it is, get a few like women on rotation, no not matter who they are, as long as they regularly come to the church. They can teach them somewhere, something, colour in some stuff, whatever. Just get them out, get them out of here, we don't want them hearing, don't want them like, you know, they might make some noise or something, you know? But we don't see, we, we don't believe that, do we? They're, they're not lesser Christians. And here's a funny thing. In fact, those, those humble little ones, because he did say, you've got to humble yourself as this little child, are greater than the pride-filled adult, aren't they? He just, he just said earlier that basically, what did he say in verse, I think it was four, he said, whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven so you could argue from that that some of these little children are kind of as things stand probably the greatest (laughs) in our church because they don't have all that pride just messing things up and making god just look down and go, oh just more pride more pride more pride and uh, they're humble so these are like in in, look god values them highly right better that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea than cause a stumbling block to these humble little children but you could say as well that people that try to hurt, target, shake the faith of these young believers, look, there's going to be a bad fate for them, isn't there? And there's a lot of people out there that do that. Okay? These wolves that, that were in our church, they were targeting, at least my children got targeted a bit by them, they're trying to say stuff, they're trying to shake them, they're trying to bully them, they're trying to, that's what they do, because okay? they're wolves, they go for the young whether it's the new Christians, whether it's the weak Christians or whether it's whether it's the children, and they're constantly trying to probe and, t- and just try to see what they can get, what sort of like what sort of weaknesses they have and then they can attack it's wicked isn't it absolutely wicked and that's another reason why we 're family integrated because you get one of those wolves in the Sunday school or something else you' got all sorts of trouble, haven't you so the other people that can do that though is is Unsaved family and so-called friends, yeah? They target your young, don't they? They want to shake the faith of your kid. They want to, you know, do you have to go there? They want to try and get them watching the junk, you know, get them listening to the junk. They want to try and encourage them with the worldly stuff and try and pull them away from church. And they're easily used, aren't they? Because in their mind, oh, they just need to lighten up. They just need to know more about the world. They need to be a bit more fun or whatever else it is. And that's something we have to watch out for as well, don't we? But again, the warning's out for all of those that do that. He then said in verse seven, woe unto the world because of offences, for it must needs be that offences come, but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh. So that's a strong warning and then he continues here wherefore if thy hand or thy foot offend thee cut them off and cast them from thee it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire and if thine eye offend thee pluck it out and cast it from thee it is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire so Is Jesus saying that we could lose our salvation if we don't cut our hand and feet off and pluck our eyes out? Is that what he's saying? Of course he's not. Galatians 2.16, everyone knows, or many know this verse says, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And that includes cutting off limbs and plucking our eyes. Yeah, so who's the subject here? well verse 7 says the world doesn't it? it says woe unto the world because of offenses for it must needs be that offenses come but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh yeah and that's who he's talking about here because then he says wherefore if thy hand so he then uses a singular thy and thee whilst talking to the hypothetical man okay and obviously it's still, it's an analogy and he's not saying to the hypothetical worldly guy you need to pluck out your eyes and cut off your arms. But he's just giving this, he's basically saying, look, if, you're, if, you're, if that limb it would cause a stumbling block to you getting saved, you'd be better to cut it off. Because that's how serious it is to go into the lake of fire for eternity. That's what he's talking about here. But because in verse 10, he then continues addressing his disciples with the ye again and talking to them as a plural. So here he says woe unto the world because of offences, talk about the world for it must needs be that offense come but woe to that man by whom the offence cometh wherefore if thy hand or thy foot about that man that worldly man there so basically saying to the unsaved yeah you better cut off your limbs pluck out your, your eyes and go to hell yeah. And like I said because look whatever's a stumbling block to salvation you'd be better to get rid of. Okay? You would just be better to get rid of that whatever that is than and for some people their stumbling block is something that they think they enjoy it's like you know the whatever sin it is whatever pleasure whatever carnal pleasure it is is the reason that they don't want to hear the gospel is the reason that they don't want to think about God acknowledge God you'd be better to literally cut off your arm than to risk going to hell and you could argue that based on the subject of offending the young believers there's maybe more of an urgency with that offender, isn't there as well, you know, that type of person? Because, look, you know, he's saying, look, it'd be better that a millstone would cast about their neck and these sorts of people are just wicked, aren't they? And they need to get on and, and whatever that stumbling block is, whatever that, that issue is, they need to get rid of that quickly. But he's back talking to the disciples in verse 10 here. And obviously we saw that sort of, we've seen this sort of language before. It's like he's just giving the extreme of how, look, hell isn't some sort of it i knocked on the door today and the guy who answered said to me um he said something about "Well, his girlfriend's into all that or something like that and i said okay well you know more importantly you know about going to heaven and he just said ah whatever probably going to hell (laughs) i said okay well um would you like to you know would you like to know you know that you can go to heaven for sure you know or something along those lines said Nah, I'm happy. I said, you sure, you, want to, you sure you're happy to go down there? He said, yeah, I don't care. I said, I'll leave you to it then, you know, and, and then laughing as he shut the door. But I mean, whatever his stumbling block was, he would have been better to cut his hand off, wouldn't he? Because hell isn't a laughing matter. It's funny because he wasn't just saying it like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, hell. He kind of, you know, came from within, like, yeah, I know about hell. I know I'm probably going there, whatever. It's so sad, isn't it? What a mess! Like to laugh and and just for the sake of what hearing the gospel, but many people like that. And Jesus is saying, "Look, you'd be better to, to cut off your limbs, pluck out your eyes." So, anyway, verse ten. He's back to talk to the disciples. It says, "Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven." Now, okay. So some might use this verse to say that everyone starts with a guardian angel. Anyone heard someone saying that that when you're like all children have that anyone heard that before i've heard people try and say that if you're that, that from birth you have a guardian angel and i've heard some people would say well maybe and they look back on their lives and they say well maybe because they were going to get saved they had something like that themselves i'm not sure but he did say he did say here in verse six Whoso shall offend one of the these little ones which believe in me so specifically here we're talking about saved children aren't we Okay, save children. Now, some would say this isn't talked about that sort of thing before, but he did just say in verse 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Okay, so it's the same little ones that he's talking about that believe in him. For I say unto you that in heaven, their are angels to always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So these are young believing children. They have angels, their angels, which to always beho- behold the face of God the Father. Now, this isn't some strange child spirit or something, okay? So, I I believe it's, some would call it guardian. I believe it is talking about protecting angels, okay? That's in my view. Turn to Psalm 34, because the Bible does teach that as believers, we have access to spiritual protection, doesn't it? Okay, from his angels. Psalm 34 you're turning to, and verse 4 we're going to look from psalm 34 and verse 4 says i sought the lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears okay notice he sought the lord yeah they looked unto him okay these are the people here these are other saved people and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed this poor man cried and the lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles great Verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. So, is this free reign to do what you like because the angel will deliver you? It does say that the angel of the Lord compass, It says, encampeth sorry, round about them that fear him. Okay? It does say that, doesn't it? But, although fearing the Lord can sometimes refer to just being saved, here it's re- referring to those serving God. Okay, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. So, again, trusting in him. We've seen seeking him. We've seen looking unto him. Then, verse 9 says, oh, f- oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. So, he's talking to his saints, isn't he? And he's telling them, and by the way, saints are believers, in case anyone's got any kind of weird Catholic or higher church CV hang ups here. No, this is just believers he's telling them to fear him though isn't he so he's telling the believers to fear the Lord because look uh, people yeah there's a fear of the Lord that that has to go hand in hand with salvation a lot of people who are saved don't live their life fearing the Lord do they okay he's saying fear the Lord verse four said that he sought the Lord verse five they looked unto him verse eight the man that trusteth in him So for me, the angel of the Lord delivers you when you fear him, seek, look unto, trust, yeah? Basically when you're serving God, when you're seeking the things of God, when you're fearing God, fearing his chastisement, etc., yeah? Turn to Psalm 91 because it says exactly the same thing in Psalm 91 as well. Because some would go too far and be like, well, I've got a guardian angel, I can do what I want, you know, The, the angels are looking after me, it's all fine, I'm saved, yeah? No, the point was there, it was people fearing him, it was believers who were then fearing him, living living a life of serving God really, isn't it? Psalm 91 and verse 9, Psalm 91, 9 says, Because, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Okay, and I don't think that's just salvation here. I think it's making him basically the centre of your life, you know, living amongst it or living with him in your life. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. So again, we're seeing those angels protecting, yeah? They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. Because... He has set his love upon me okay talking as god here therefore will i deliver him i will set him on high because he hath known my name so knowing him loving him don't forget jesus said in john 14 15 if you love me keep my commandments okay so that's part of loving him isn't it because there are many that will say will they? they'll be oh yeah yeah I, lo- I, lo- I love jesus yeah jesus he's my guy you know i love jesus don't like all those strict Old Testament laws, though. You know, don't like the judgmentalism, you know, against the Sodomites or whatever it is, but I love Jesus. But they don't, do they? Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. I, I love Jesus, but forget all that soul winning stuff. You know, love Jesus, but yeah, I don't know about going out and knocking on doors, you know, that's a bit uncomfortable, a bit awkward, a bit cold, or whatever else, yeah? Well, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So many that's claimed to love him, okay? But when we do all of that, when we do all of those things, we can rely on spiritual protection too. Now, is it one angel or more? So verse 11 said, for he shall give his angels charge over thee, singular, yeah? Okay, that person who who has basically made God, you know, made the Lord the most high thy habitation, okay? So we see plural there, we saw singular back back in the previous psalm. Turn to 2 Kings 6, because for me it depends on what you're doing for God. Basically, how hot the battle is around you. Because for some, the battle's hot around you. When you're serving God properly, when you're doing the things of God, when you're going out doing things for God, living for God, you know, keep his commandments because you're loving him, you're knowing him, you're, you're, you're serving him, you're fearing him, you're doing the things of God, I think you probably need multiple angels, okay? Because the battle's going to be hot, the spiritual battle we're talking about here. In 2 Kings 6, we're going to see that in a minute, because sadly, there are some believers out there that are probably, probably sharing one angel amongst many of them, really, because they're not doing anything for God. And again, this isn't competing, this is just, look, these people need to g- get right and get, start doing stuff for God, get fearing God and start living for him, yeah? But there are probably many out there where there's probably one angel who's probably, probably not even doing much amongst all of them, probably got his feet up in the calf, in the angel calf as we talk, waiting for a call to come in, because nothing's going on. And then for <laughs> others, like we're going to see over here in 2 Kings 6, they've got a whole army there because they're doing so much for God. Second 2 Kings 6, the battle's hot, right? Elisha's helping Israel against Syria. He's warning the king, basically, of each place that they're looking to attack, yeah? The king of Syria wants to take him because he's basically scuppering all his plans to attack Israel by basically just prophesying of where they're going to be next. You know, he's got some great insight as a man of God. Verse 13 says, and he said, go and spy where he is. This is the king of Syria, that I may send and fetch him. Second king, six and verse 13. And it was told him, saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. So he's basically just sent this huge army to where, like, poor old Elisha, or well, you think poor old Elisha is just kind of there on his own, you know, and you think, oh, he's just sent this army now, he's just in this place. Dothan. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth behold so he's got this servant with him and host okay that's an army compass the city both with horses and chariots and his servant said unto him alas my master how shall we do so he's saying look like they got what are we going to do there's this huge army surrounding the city there's just you and me here yeah what are we going to do and he answered fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them so this servant's probably thinking what are you talking about Elisha you know they've got a whole army the Syrian army surrounding the city and look at verse 17 Elisha prayed and said Lord I pray thee open his eyes that he may see and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha okay so he's opened his eyes so basically he's like put these spiritual glasses on we, we often joke about that if only you had your spiritual glasses on you could see what's going on and he he's seen the mountain i'm assuming they're right by a mountain here just full of horses and chariots of fire around about and the point is that they're up high yeah the point is that this is spiritual okay chariots of fire you don't usually get in the kind of physical kind of armies it'd be quite cool if you did but these are clearly this is this is some these are angels right and when they came down to him Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said smite this people I pray thee with blindness and he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha now what's interesting is that it would only I believe needed one of those angels to have dealt with the physical threat so you don't have to turn it but when the king of assyria come up against hezekiah it says in second kings 1935 and it came to pass that night that the angel singular of the lord went out and smote in the camp of the assyrians and hundred fourscore and five thousand that's a hundred and eighty five thousand now when they arose early in the morning behold they're all dead corpses one angel a people pretty powerful right <laughs> okay okay that's some powerful beings right so why did Elisha have the mountain full of horses and chariots of fire? Clearly spiritual, right? For the spiritual battle and Elisha being in the centre of it, it was, it was a spiritual battle. So look, one of those angels could have dealt with the physical people. He wasn't even concerned. He just said to his servant, just, just like, open, or he basically got his eyes open and said, have a look at that. But it's not about the physical battle because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? However, it was all of those surrounding him because of the spiritual battle, because this was someone doing great things for God. And while doing great things for God, that spiritual battle was raging around you. And we, we've joked about this before, I remember, at the previous church, but it's very true. I, I believe if, you, if, if your eyes are open, if you had a spiritual glass on now, we would probably see, and, and not because, oh, we're just so great, because we're the only church, really, in the UK that are going out and regularly soul-winning and preaching, preaching the importance of soul-winning, preaching the word of God clearly, you'd see chariots of fire and horses above this church, I believe, right now. And you'd probably see a battle going on right now as well because there's a spiritual battle going on. And there's a spiritual battle going on around all of us because the devil wants you. And these are beings that can kill 185,000 people in a night, a host with one angel, it said in 2 in, um, in Kings chapter 19. That to me says that we can't battle them alone, can we? So how do we deal with these, and I'm talking about these devils because I'd imagine it seems they've probably got quite a lot of power. How do we deal with them is because we have, we have God protect us with his angels, yeah? So with all of that in mind, go back to Matthew 18, which said in verse 10, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So if the level of protection from angels is dependent upon us that we just saw yeah fearing seeking looking unto trusting God making him our habitation setting our love upon and knowing him okay that was dependent upon us wasn't it perhaps for the little saved children that protection is maybe a bit more automatic perhaps because look before they're really able to get to grips with serving God in spirit and truth they need protection don't they or they'd just be getting wiped out straight away wouldn't they before they're able to even make a decision to do any of that because they can learn the gospel quite young can't they i believe you can get you know i reckon you're looking at sort of on average six seven eight something like that sometimes a little younger sometimes a little older they're able to understand i believe well thank god they get that protection isn't it thank god they do because the spiritual attack is, is raging out there isn't it And what does it mean to always behold the face of the father do you think well either jesus is highlighting the power and purity of the angels you could say they're able to behold god's face and still live aren't they because normal people can't do that or two beholding his face represents constantly fulfilling his will to protect them maybe (laughs) unlike when we get older and compromise ourselves i don't know but what's the point what's the, the point of that well, be careful not to despise the children, that's what he said, because God has a lot of care for them. And you could say maybe we get a bit of spiritual protection for free or something as well. Look, don't despise them, don't hate them, because look, they're, they've got angels protecting them, right? And look, if they're saved, look, we shouldn't. Because, and you think, yeah, why could you hate children? What you to, look, I've been to churches where they seem to hate children, right? I've been around so called Christians that seem to just hate children okay and we're, we're we're told to beware we're told to not do that okay don't despise them because they're valued highly by god is really the 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 lesson there isn't it then he said in verse 11 for the son of man is come to save that which was lost how think ye if a man have a hundred heap sheep sorry and one of them be gone astray doth he not leave the 99 and, and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray and if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So the point is the value of one soul, soul saved, yeah? whether they be six years old or, six, or 60 years old. Yeah, no, It's a great thing to get a child saved, isn't it? And often you can, oh, well, I hope they were young. Look. If you get a child saved and you're confident, they understood it, they got saved, that's a great thing, isn't it? Okay, that's a a moment for celebration, isn't it? Now the sheep here, rather than, you know, talking about saved specifically, are the lost sheep of the house of Israel, okay? So do you know what this passage tells me? Because it is talking about salvation, so that lost sheep isn't someone who's already saved, I think it's going out and getting them saved. That it tells me that God puts more value on soul winning than on any other church ministry. That's what that tells me. Because, look, we want to build the saints up here. Yeah, we want to do nice things together. We want to serve God in all other areas. And, you know, we all obviously there's stuff to do to make this church function in the first place, right? Okay, and it's no good if no one did anything because we wouldn't really have a functioning church. And then we wouldn't be going out and going soul winning and being sent out by the church, which is what's meant to happen. However... He rejoices more over a soul saved than anything you or I do to, to, to please him. Okay? For me, that's what that's what I see there. Verse 13 says, And if so be that ye find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. So he rejoices more against, for that one salvation than that one sheep that went not astray. The no, sorry, than those ninety-nine that went not astray. So... the 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 joy that that god gets from getting one salvation yeah more than than all the people doing whatever it is they're doing i think you know in the church and everything else now look don't get me wrong we still want to do good stuff yeah but god puts a lot more value on soul winning doesn't he than many other things god puts more value on soul winning than homeless ministries OK, God puts more money, puts more value on soul winning than giving free food to people that refuse to work and instead get high on drugs every day. You know that God puts a lot more value on soul winning than that. They're not even a 99. It didn't go astray. A lot of them are God haters and rejecters and, and people that, that despise him. And he puts more value on going out and preaching the gospel. Because how many churches are like, well, what's your homeless ministry? How about what's your soul winning ministry? How about that? Why aren't you going out and preaching the gospel? He puts more value on soul winning than running a food bank in a church, doesn't he? They're, they're basically pooling together our money to give food to people rather than just going out and preaching the gospel. There are churches which, I mean, we, when we pick these chairs up, I mean, that so-called church was just full of food. I don't even think they did anything. now. I don't even think they, they, they even have services. They just gave out food. Oh, what a great thing to do. How about preach the gospel? Oh, we'll feed them until they go to hell. How about that? He puts more value on soul winning than singing hymns in the high street, doesn't he? Then carol singing, then carol concerting, then all that stuff. He puts more value on soul winning. Soul winning is the most important thing, isn't it? He rejoices over one, one person getting saved. He puts more value on soul winning than messy church. (laughs) What is that about, (laughs) messy church? Come in and trash the church. We've got paint, we've got all sorts of permanent market trashing. trash it. You know, it's weird, isn't it? Messy, what a name for that as well. Come in and just kind of abuse the church and great, we go to Messy Church, get loads of arts and crafts and go home. Do they even try and give them the gospel? No, because most of them are unsaved anyway. Probably all of them are. More value on soul winning than posting New Testament Bibles through letterboxes. How yeah, did you know that? More value on soul winning than posting Bibles. What a waste of time that is. Yeah? No one's getting saved from a Bible on their own. That's, the Bible says they're getting saved. It's not happening. The Bible doesn't say they're going to read the Bible and get saved. Yeah, how many of these... Oh, we've got to post the tracks, post this, post that. How about preaching the gospel? But it it's more value on preaching the gospel than all this rubbish. More, more value on preaching the gospel than, than flower ranging outside the front of the church. Yeah, can you believe it? Because how many elderly, not even elderly, how many people think, oh, well, I really do something for God because I'm like arranging flowers and weeding at the front of some soppy church somewhere? How about preach the gospel? How about go out and preach the gospel? He didn't say go ye into all the world and give them free food, did he? Go ye into all the world and give the people that refuse to work free food. Go ye into all the world and post Bibles and post tracts He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we're told to do. And Jesus is saying that these kids are important, isn't he? That's what he's saying. And here's the thing. Just because it's cold, just because it's dark, the lost don't get less important, do they? Something we need to remember, don't we? Because as it gets colder, as it gets darker, people start turning up less, don't they? But are are the lost any less important? Are any less people dying? In fact, more people are dying. It's so cold, and because heating bills are so expensive now, it's so cold. Right? I mean, I can't remember it being this cold for this long. Anyone remember a minus five spell? Mm, nearly <laughs> half raised. The beast, the, the beast from the east. When was that? Oh man! Okay, <laughs> well, memory, my memory obviously isn't very long. How cold did it get? Minus, okay. What's it, have they called this anything? Uh, No? Just a snap. snap. They didn't even come up with something cool for it. Unbelievable. Lazy. (laughs) They got lazier. This is a problem, yeah? Weather forecast not like it used to be. Okay, so. But it doesn't get less important, does it? We still need to go out and preach the gospel. Verse 12, where we are in Matthew Chapter 18 says, "How think ye? If a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray?" So, we haven't started the mountaineering soul winning yet. Okay, I don't think we can, we even got. Do they even class them as mountains here? Snowden's a mountain, isn't it? How about the Snowden soul winning trip? <laughs> is there anyone up in Snowden? Well, you'd find a lot of, like, outdoor types, wouldn't you, up there? They might want to hear the gospel. Okay, but we haven't started that yet. Yet, look, here he's talking about this shepherd going up into the mountains to find that one sheep, yeah? And, look, going out on a dark winter's night, even a cold, dark winter's night, isn't quite going up into the mountains, is it? And, look, we need to go and seek that which has gone astray. And that's the sort of attitude we should have, isn't it? The sort of attitude to go out and seek that one, because look, it can be, uh, especially like uh, you know I say a lot, the local area soul winning isn't like the other stuff. Because we've we've really ever since really just tried to find receptive soul winning, haven't we? Sometimes it hasn't always been that receptive. But I mean, the place where I was mean, tonight, we've been going there the last few weeks. I don't think we've had a salvation out of there, have we? No, oh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty. So, however, we've got some versa, and, and I, I believe we're playing the field there. You know, and we've got out half a gospel here and maybe a gospel presentation there and a few other verses there. Look, next year maybe we'll get some people saved there. And there is value in that shit and no one else is going to knock those doors, are they? No one's coming to Wickford and knocking doors around here. And look, we are called to do that, aren't we? And look, okay, of course, there's no one really knocking doors anywhere, (laughs) Sadly. Yeah, that is, it's sad but true. But this is where we are, this is where we church are and, and it's not our fault that, lo, that all those other churches, those other ones that did have the gospel, right, those other ones that were soul winning maybe at some point in the past, it's not our fault that they're not and we will hopefully plant and spread and preach the gospel in other areas of the UK. But right now, this is our mission field as well, isn't it? You know, we need to go out and preach the gospel, have that value, that one, that one that gets saved on a Wednesday night, hey amen. It's going to be amazing, isn't it? We'll be rejoicing in here, we'll have a party. Especially if it's from that area we've been going, because that has been a bit, a bit hard, hard going. But it's hardly Beverly Hills, is it? I mean, it's hardly, you know, Richmond upon Thames or something like that. It's not. It's is you know, Wickford. <laughs> but it does get a bit unreceptive in place, doesn't it? OK, so he said in verse 14, Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish okay so and 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 back to the little ones because it doesn't matter who their parents are how sinful they might have got in a short space of time how much they're already maybe bullying other kids already or something else sometimes you look at these kids and say "Oh, that one looks like bit of a bit of a brat or something else No, he's, he's not he's not willing that one of them should perish is he makes you think of second peter 3 9 which says the lord is not slack concerning his promises some men count slackness but is long long suffering to us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance okay god's not willing that any should perish okay any of these are, and as and little ones they're all savable aren't they they're all savable I don't think you're going to get a reprobate as a little child. Yeah, yeah look, children can, can be reprobated, but as a little child, no, I don't think so. So, look, he wants... And, and, and look, they're, they're, they're great to try and preach the gospel to. They're not always receptive, are they? Sometimes you get one that is hot, it's, it's just it's shocking when they are It's like, no, nah, not really, not interested. I want today he is a bit older, he was maybe in his teens, but, no, nah, no, nah, not really interested, no. Nah. You say, how sad, you know, because usually when you get someone a bit young, you think, okay, hey, they're more likely. But when they're, when they're particularly young, when they're those little ones, look, they need saving, don't they? They need saving. And, and, and that's where we come back to the original point that we made, or one of the original points, is where children are so helpful for those situations, aren't they? And look, I'm much happier preaching the gospel when I've got a kid or two next to me, to a child, than I am when I'm standing with one of you burly geezers in here. Really, because I'm just thinking, oh, I know I'm going to get grief soon you know and uh but it's so much nicer when you've got a kid with you even better if the child is up for and wants to preach the gospel that's great if your kids want to and want to do that but if not just to have you guys there just makes such a difference doesn't it? You know to be able to preach the gospel to those youngsters because they're so much more receptive and, it, and god's not willing that that any should perish that all should come to repentance here it said that one of these little ones should perish it's not the will of our father which is in heaven okay and we we want to try and preach the gospel to him we want to be sensitive with that that truthfully if i knock on a door and a kid answer i will say are your parents there you know and and ask them you know permission but sometimes uh, parents sometimes just let you preach the gospel to their kids don't they Oh, and they do that and, it, and the other day got, got a lady saved and asked her you know I noticed your daughter there behind do you think she might want to hear the gospel and she pulled her out funnily enough the mum was much more receptive than the 10 year old girl the mum was like the lowest hanging fruit just got it all was just you know straight away and then the daughter was actually a bit harder work and needed a bit longer spent with her and everything else and but something we need to remember when we're soul winning as well: ask them. Look, if someone's just got saved, ask them. Like, you got any, you know, any kids there that might want to hear the gospel? Because look, we should, we want to be getting them saved, don't we? So, that was Matthew chapter eighteen, part one. We're going to finish up there, and then we're going to start start from um verse 15 in part two next week um yeah some good topics in there i think and some good good reminders for us and um and some good lessons to learn from that as well um we're going to um we're going to finish up in a word of prayer now (laughs) father thank you for your word thank you for um just another great chapter of this gospel lord with um just so many truths there that we can get out of that just about not being those sort of carnal competitive christians that sadly you know is is a is a temptation for so many help us not to be like that lord help us to to also just you know remember to value those children um, that are in this church help us lord to respect those children here to to respect the fact that you know that that not only you know do we have saved children here but there are many unsaved children out and about that need need the gospel preaching to them lord help us to to just have a heart for doing that have a you know be sensible with it as well you know we don't want to you know cause undue trouble and 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 issues but help us to be wise with that help us to get the gospel out lord help us to get these people saved Um, help us to get home safe and sound in on these icy roads lord help everyone to just stay safe out there to stay warm and to be back here on sunday which should hopefully be warmer weather weather for another day in your house in jesus name for all of this